You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Hi, this is Dr. John Langlois. And I am Dr. Allison Marshall, and you are listening to the special monthly Chi University episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Good morning, Horse World. Welcome to our once-a-month look at traditional Chinese veterinary medicine with the Chi University. So, John, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Good. I'm glad to hear that. We have a fabulous guest this morning um, that is a teacher with us at the Chi University. She's a She's been teaching there, I think, as long as you and I have. Her name is Dr. Marilyn Mailer, and uh, she's a veterinarian down in Ocala, as you used to be. And uh, we're going to talk about some back stuff uh, with her, back issues, kissing spines, all that kind of fun thing. Well, that's that's wonderful, because I, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that the number one complaint or clinical complaint in the race or performance horses is back pain. So we see it so frequently. So the idea that we're going to, you know, talk and discuss and, and give uh, the listeners something to think about because, you know, when we have some of these conditions, people go, oh, gosh, the back's uh, going through kissing spines or some other problem. And we're going to give it, you know, the stigma of your your career is over and you're not going to be in the same level anymore. But um, we're looking forward to hearing maybe how we might be able to approach these problems in a good way with good success. I love that. I love that. Um, I, and, and as Marilyn is a teacher with us, she's also very heavily versed and very focused on osteopathy. She's a, a big proponent of the school that she went to, and she does a super job of some real integrative practice. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her. And I think, isn't she also board certified? If, yeah, which is quite an accomplishment. Go, Marilyn. All right. Well, let's get her on the phone. So today on the Chi University podcast, we have the wonderful Dr. Marilyn Mailer, who owns Sun Spirit Farm and Veterinary Services in Ocala. Dr. Mailer is a, a teacher and a professor at Chi University, along with John and I, Dr. Langua and I, and um, her practice in Ocala is pretty targeted to sports medicine and challenging cases and that sort of thing. And she is coming to us today to talk about back pain as a general topic and um, maybe some kissing spine stuff as a specific topic. So Marilyn, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about back pain in general. If, if the general uh, horse owner calls you and says, I have a horse with back pain, where do you start? So as with many things, we need to look at the entire horse because very rarely is it primary back pain. It's, it's, yes, it is primarily secondary. And then you got to figure out where that's coming from. Um, <clears throat> and then you got to figure out this, you know, the sources. So not only, um, you know, is it a hind end lameness that's causing it? Is it stomach ulcers, that kind of stuff, but what tissues are involved? So the first thing I do is palpate the back and try to figure out if it's muscular oriented or if it is, um, perhaps bony oriented. So just palpating and everyone has their own technique on how to palpate, um, and what I do see a lot of people doing is they palpate the muscles, but they often don't go to midline and push down on the dorsal spinous processes and see if that's painful. Um, and typically, you know, I'm sure, you know, everyone gets really scared of kissing spine. Um, we've had really good success treating kissing spine because my theory on kissing spine is that most of the time it is not a congenital problem. I've literally, I've, looked at just thousands of back pain horses, and I probably can count on one hand the number that I would say were truly congenital, meaning we caught it as a very young horse, you know, just as they were being started under saddle and they were having behavior problems under saddle. And we take the x-rays and of course it's there. Most of the time, these are in horses that have been in work already. And 
obviously, so obviously wasn't a problem when they got started and they're in work. And for whatever reason, their, their spinous processes have started getting closer together. And we can talk about the, the reasons for that. Um, so I call, I kind of classify those as, as, as acquired. And I kind of always give the clients the good news is, the good news with that is if your horse is 12 and is just being diagnosed with kissing spine, that it's probably acquired. And there's something that we're doing or something in their environment or something going on that has made this progress. And so the good news is we can probably change those factors and reverse it and make things better as opposed to the truly congenital cases. So I actually like seeing kissing spine cases because we have a lot of success. A lot of people come into them, come into the, that diagnosis and get really, they think it's, they think it's the end of their horse's career. And they've been told that based on some radiographs, probably. I find a lot of those too that have been told, oh, he's got kissing spines. He's done. Yes. Yes. Or do surgery. And I can tell you outside of horses that have gone to surgery, I've not had one that we've not been able to get back into work. That was an acquired one. I've put a couple of congenital ones down. Um, but as far as the acquired ones, if we get to them before they've had surgery, been very successful getting them back into work. Even if, you know, maybe they were a jumper and now they can do flat work only. Um, but at least we can get them back as functional horses. So when you're seeing the congenital ones, is there an area of the back that you're seeing or th that they show up more frequently? So typically it is, if you, if you can try to picture the spinous processes up until about T15, T14, they're all pointing backwards. And then you have T15 goes straight, straight up. And then from T15 back, they're pointing forward. So anatomically, that's the closest area, you know, where they would normally, even in a normal horse, they're, they're closest together there. So that's your T14, 15, 16. What I've seen with bad saddles and other causes is you end up with kissing spine not only there, but farther forward. And sometimes just farther forward, just at the base of the withers. Um, when we have, when, and that's what I've contributed to is, is a, a lot of times saddle problems, um, will start right behind the withers where your tree points are. And that'll be the, if it's, if it's the area, but it, it'll be the worst area. So Marilyn, I had one question, you know, as far as this congenital thing goes, is, do you say if mom had the problem and dad had the problem, there's a concern there? I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that one. <laughs> I, I don't know that they've done yeah. studies, honestly. I mean, we understand some breed predilections. You know, the thoroughbred quarter horse and the warm blood, they tend to be the ones, but those are the ones that are in performance. But I was just curious to know that uh, if someone asked me that question, if mom had yeah. kissing spines and dad had kissing spines, should I maybe not pair them up? Yeah, I I don't know that I've seen enough congenital ones to even put that together. So the next next thing, you know, I'll palpate the back. Is it is it muscular pain or is there pain on the midline when you push down? And obviously, you know, if, if you can kind of picture the, those spinous processes, if the horse is in neutral, um, you know, neutral back extension flexion, they're going to be at a certain position. If you push down and the horse horse goes into extension where the back is dropping, those spinous processes are going to be closer together. And that's going to hurt. So these are the horses that go with a, you know, go with a hollow back. But I'm, I'm using this as a, you know, as a belly scratch and um, kind of pushing down on their back and then having them lift up. So if you lift up, if you do their belly scratch and you ask them to lift up, can they lift up? And a lot of these horses don't want to lift up because of pain. And so the, the next thing to ask yourself, if, if they're having back pain and they don't want to go into flexion, they don't want to lift their back. Is it back pain? Is it that the muscles on the dorsal aspect of the, on the top of the back, your little, you know, your longissimus and your little multifidus muscles, is it that they, those are going to have to relax in order for that back to flex and to go upwards. And so is it that those muscles are tight and don't want to relax or the other, the other set of muscles that have to work, have to do something during that is your abdominals or do your abdominals not want to contract in order to lift that back? Um, so I will find horses that I think have GI problems that don't want to, don't want to lift their back. And if their back is nice and soft, I'll look at the, the GI system and that goes into it. Yeah. That they don't want to contract their abs. So, um, and the other part of that, we know that the stomach and the GI system, so you've got, 
um, your stomach is innervated by segments 9, 10, 11, 12, and then you go into your duodenum, 12, 13, 14, your spleen and pancreas a little bit back. So if you have pain in your stomach, it's going to feed back to the segments of the spine. So in this case, 9 through 12, and and cause contraction of those associated muscles. So we will have horses that have stomach pain via you know ulcers that are restricted in motion in those segments 9 through 12, and they're going to be prone to kissing spine because they're not going to want to go into flexion. Um, so a lot of times we'll treat the stomach if, you know, if we take x-rays or even, sometimes we don't need to take x-rays, we treat the stomach and see if the back pain goes away. And for the horse owners, that is really the low wither area, right? Where, right where the withers meet into the back is where you're finding that. So that can be super confusing between saddle fit and, you know, all that sort of thing. Exactly. So, you know, like I said, first thing is figuring out what structure. So, you know, we can use conventional things. We can use x-rays. We can use, you know, so the bony structures, you can either have the kissing spine, you know, the, the touching facets. You can also have arthritis in those. And sometimes that's very hard area to x-ray the facets. Number one, to penetrate, then the ribs are, are in your way too. I've gotten lucky a couple of times in being able to see facet arthritis on x-rays, but generally in the field, that's pretty hard to do. Um, but ultrasound does a good job of, of getting the, the facet arthritis. Because that's the other. So, you know, how do you want to treat this? Do you want to treat, the, you know, do you need to treat the muscles? Do you want to treat the, you know, do you have touching spinous processes? Do you need to treat that? Or is it actually the facet joints? Because what if you have arthritis, and this goes with any joint, you have pain. So anything, anything related to those joints, the muscles are going to be in contractions. If your back muscles are in contraction, they go shorter. And that's going to bring your kissing, your spinous processes closer together. So the facet arthritis can contribute to back pain also, and eventually and kissing spine because you, you stay in extension more. So Marilyn, if you if you if you um, suspect that there's some kissing spines, and then you say, well, let's go ahead and radiograph see if we support that, but then kind of like if you remember. Navicular disease is a clinical disease, meaning we have to actually prove that that source that we see on a radiograph is actually painful. So do you do anything more like maybe any blocking in that area to say, okay, so it is the kissing spines, maybe not the facets or perhaps something else? Um, I don't necessarily block with lidocaine. Um, I will use serapin sometimes. In that area, so it's kind of a, it, it does act as a block, but it's also a treatment because it lasts long. And we can get into that because, right, the first thing with it, with anything, we need to stop the pain. So if we know, if we, if we have a true back pain um, where the muscles are contracted, the first thing we need to do is get the horse out of pain. And so the serapin can act not only kind of as a, a diagnostic, but also as a treatment to block the pain cycle for a while. And then you get the people, you know, doing exercises where they're contracting their abs and they're lifting their back and breaking that pain cycle. Um, so, no, I don't really do any blocking. Um, I think between the exam and the x-rays and, and if you're very precise with your finger placement on midline, you can isolate it really to one or two segments. We know pain travels up and down the spine. It can go up two segments and over two segments. Um, but I feel pretty good between my exam and, um, you know, the x-rays that were, were on the right track, honestly. So how long do you think the serap how long do you think the serapin injection lasts? Like, you know, for the, for the killing of pain, how long would you expect that to days, hours? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know the answer to that since I don't use it. Uh, probably about two weeks, but that may be all, and it's not going to be like lidocaine. It's not going to completely block it like that. And we don't really know how serapin works. Um, it is used in human back pain patients also, but it seems to be a pretty safe medication. We haven't found any real contraindications to it. And I'm just putting that locally. I'm not doing, like if I, had, if I found arthritis, I would want to inject the facets themselves, um, which is ultrasound guided and all that kind of stuff. But with the serapin, we're just kind of doing the general area um, and seeing if we can just break that pain cycle. Okay, great. So if you do, if you do diagnose, um, with your hands, um, and maybe radiographs, if, if, if that's done, 
Um, how do you how do you get rid of the pain? How do you approach that? So, and that we can do many things. So we know actually acupuncture has been proven to work just as well as butte or better on back pain. So that's one method. The you know you can use and we we have a host of things, right? You can use shockwave. You can use mesotherapy, and you know, it depends on the horse and what, what works on one doesn't work on the other and, you know, your budget and how quickly they need to get back into work. Um, but that's as far as they need, as far as treatments. But then once you break the pain cycle, you've got to have the clients doing the exercises where they're getting the horse to lift their back, where they're doing their belly lifts, where they're doing their carrot stretches beside where they're lifting their back because that mobility. So it's, it's first break the pain cycle then is increase the mobility of the area. And by increasing the mobility, you're actually breaking the pain cycle too. For all of us, because we're all in the same age, we know if we stretch and we increase the mobility of our back, we get out of pain. I know all of us horse practitioners, probably even young ones at this point, probably have some back pain. And so the the mere act of moving it and stretching it um, is going to break the pain cycle. So it's first get them out of pain, then increase increase the mobility, which those two can overlap. And then we can strengthen, but only after we've done the first two. So many people want to skip to the strengthening part, but they haven't done the first two. They want to like, how do I make back stronger? But that's, that's not the first, that's not the first step. And do you recommend a uh, massage or, you know, in, in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, we do Twena. Do you recommend that you do it or the owner or trainer does that in help of your therapy? Um, the Twina, and you know, that is a, a lot of the Twina we use for this. It is getting, but I, ha, it has to be done so frequently. I often show the client how to do it. And, and most successful kissing spine cases are teenage girls that, you know, they're going to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> They've been told their horse is never going to come back and they're going to prove everybody wrong. And those are the girls that like, if I get one of those, you know, I know we're going to be successful. Because they follow the they follow the prescription, they do it. They probably do it 110 percent because they're going to prove the world that they're going to come back. So to me, it's like I can't, massage in that area. You know, yes, it's okay, but I just don't think you're getting deep enough. It really is the twina, the stretching, the mobility exercises. Um, to me, that that really are going to make or break whether the case is going to be successful. Because I can break the pain. This is what I tell people: I can break the pain but I can't be here to do these exercises for you every day. It's going to be up to you. And um, so that, to me, that's where the success lies is with them doing their part. I think in, in my experiences, they're all willing and, you know, able to do that and want to. And I, I think that that's a real important, you know, part of the team effort. Yep. And getting them to stay off the horse for a while. They really do need to, you know, if your saddle's not good, you got to get it fixed. If the teeth aren't good. So it's, and because if we're talking about true kissing spine, it's anything that makes the horse go inverted is going to irritate that. So that can be sore feet. You know, that can be um, bad teeth where the temporal bone isn't able to rotate very well. These horses, you know, their mouth, you know, they're just not good on the reins and their head goes up. So we've got to fix all of those things before they get back on the horse. And so, yeah, keeping them off the horse for long enough to to get the the pain to go away and to get the 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 back the posture. I mean, it's it's a posture problem. When they're in pain, they develop a different posture, and so we need to actually change that posture in the horse where they're strong in the proper posture, and then they can get back on them. But not until then. And to me, that's the hardest part with some of this is keeping them off the horses until the proper time. So if you're doing your acupuncture um, as a therapy, um, are you also incorporating any herbal formulas that might help? Yeah. So depending on, you know, we've got more spinal, we've got more muscular. And to me, that's where figuring out where the pain's coming from, what herbal formula when it used to, what tissue is involved. Is it bone or is it soft, you know, or is it muscle soft tissue? And then go on with the appropriate use of that. But yes, that's 
that's part of the breaking the pain cycle. Yes. So when you do see DJD or arthritic change in those kind of upper, in that upper back under the saddle area, do is like, I'm curious to know how often you see that, what percentage you think that is. Is there sort of an age group, like much more likely over the age of eight? Is there a breed to the predisposition, you know, because I think, with the advent of our digital radiographs and ultrasound now, we can diagnose so much more than we could 20 years ago. So we didn't even think about investigating DJD, you know, in these thoracic, in the spinal joints themselves. It's just, it's, it's so cool that we can do that. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and what you're seeing with that. Um, you know, it's typically in the same, I mean, actually we'll see arthritis, seeing honestly more arthritis they're giving problems and the lower lumbar and L5, L6, L4, L5, L6. So I think, and I've started injecting. And when I do my SIs, if these, if these horses have that depression at L5, L6, where there's a hole, I'm ultrasounding that area also. And I've had a lot more success with my SI injections now when I've started implementing um, facet injections when I see the arthritis. And with the ultrasound, you can, oh, it's the right side on L5, it's the left side on L6, and you can be really, really specific. Um, so I'm probably treating more facets in that area than I am up in the saddle area. Because we generally, t- you know, everybody, t- not that it's not there, but we don't always bring, I don't always bring out the ultrasound first thing, because, you know, we take the x-rays, we treat, and if they get better, they might have arthritis there, but we, if they get better, we just ignore it and we go on because the horse is better. Who cares? Um, so I can't say I'm, you know, that's probably there more than I'm finding it. And I only go to that ultrasound step if our first couple, if our first methods haven't worked because nobody wants to like spend a ton of money the first time you're there, you know, no, you got to pick and choose the best modalities. And, you know, I do say, you know, Say that you know if if this doesn't work, then we're you know we need to look closer. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's probably more there in the thoracic spine than I'm finding because some of them are just getting better because we get the horse moving and we get that back lifting and we strengthen it and you know it's just responding. So we don't we don't actually diagnose it. Right. So it, it, the 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 take home message there is treat the pain right and treat the stag the, the, from the Chinese medicine. We're treating the stagnation in that area. We're just we're getting things moving again. Period. Whether it's stretching or acupuncture or sounds like you're doing some shockwave there and all that kind of thing. It's it's very cool how so much goes together. So Marilyn, um, it's interesting how things go. I saw a horse this morning before our, our podcast that I didn't diagnose. I'm just getting involved with the case, but, uh, the horse was very back sore and they, they recommended doing a wedge osteectomy. And they said that horse was better in two days. Um, could you just share a little bit about if you are getting to that point where you may want to consider, you know, uh, intraspinous ligament transection or a wedge osteectomy? What, how do you get to that point? I honestly have never recommended. I actually had one horse recently that was so bad that I mentioned that to them that we, this, like I said, I've never recommended surgery for a kissing spine, but you may be the case. And actually, we got that horse back fine. So I, yeah, I, have not, and you'll find, you know, it's such a controversial area. But I've found a lot of the, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of the surgeons that used to do it are not doing it anymore. And they've even said, you know, we don't think that's the surgery that helped. It was the rehab we put them in. So I think it's it's kind of made a turnaround as far as its popularity. It is interesting. There's a, a surgeon in my area that I think is a real out in my area is Virginia and Maryland, and I think he's a real outside the box thinker. But he does say, he's like, I've seen so much improvement with the back surgeries in my hands. And, you know, so then, like you said, I think, I wonder if it's the rehab. I wonder if it's, um, the, the cutting through, you know what I mean? And the, the severing of some of the sensory nerves to get to the issue. Is that actually just killing the pain, you know, or the, it's kind of like, uh, what do we used to do pin firing in order to rest the horse, <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I wonder about that. Yeah, I don't want to speak for Denois, but that's what I've taken away from some of his lectures is that it is actually cutting through the interspinous ligaments that's cutting the the nerves that's actually helping the horses. 
So the old adage, uh, surgery yeah. in only the, you know, the, the, as a last resort, if the option is open with the client. Yeah. So again, I look at a lot of them and I haven't had to send any of them. Um, I've not, I've seen horses after surgery. I'm thinking of one right now, went to surgery. The owner even says it's absolutely no, no better. And that one, I can't get comfortable. Like even, you know, with all my normal treatments, I'm not making a difference in it. So, well, and then you go back to your original premise. It's got to be something else. <laughs> you know, there, there's got to be something else in the big toe, you know what I mean? Or the end of the tail or exactly go to the, and how, you know, sometimes that's just hard to find. So that's, yep. So when I'm real, you've now triggered an entire new thought process for me and we can go down this rabbit hole or not, but I I do feel like I see a lot of cervical issues because I see a lot of thoroughbreds and warm bloods. And what I have found from what I was trained chiropractically is that the covering of the spine, I say that for our lay audience, which is called the dura mater, it kind of refers the tension back and forth. So when I see a horse that is is roachy in those lumbars, I start wondering if there's a, either a physiological dura mater or are they carrying themselves because their neck hurts? Are they trying to use their back to do that? So I find that just a fascinating thought that you're doing, you're finding some great injections back there. And then I think you guys are both um, old enough to remember, I think it was like 10 or 12 years ago when this SI injection started to be really popular. I think there was a whole session at AEP that they talked about luxation, not a subluxation, but an actual trauma to where the back meets the pelvis, which is the um, lumbosacral space, um, it, you know, and actually because that area was traumatized, the nerves are damaged. You talked about a little bit about the little dip, you know what I mean? Right in front of the, of our areas. And so I, I kind of wonder, you know, getting that involved, that that's just fascinating. So, you know, you're doing facet joint injections along with your SIs and you're not necessarily doing like a meso in that area, but I don't know if you have any experience with that or any comments on any of that. That just gets my brain going. Yeah, no, I, I do have, we have like, am I, I like all the toys. I like having lots of tools in my, I've done meso, I've done shockwave, I've done the facet injections. Uh, and so, yeah, so when, when, and you talk about the roach in the back. So what I often see that, so that's usually going to be centered around L3, so L2, L3, L4, and usually then you have depression at L5, L6, S1, like that. So what happens um, is if, if that L5, L6, S1 is not truly going into proper flexion, the body, and the only thing, the only thing that lifts the sacrum is the middle gluteal. So these horses will often have um, poor, you know, middle gluteal, which is the big rump muscles development, because that muscle, the only thing it does is lift the sacrum. So if, if you have restrictions in that because of pain or, you know, whatever pathology and your L5, L6 is not going into flexion, the horse is still going to try to do that. But what he's going to do is he's going to use more of his biceps or more that, that biceps femoris that actually then blends into the back muscles and he'll lift through L2, L3, L4. And that's where you get the rotiness because that's not supposed to be, the L2, L3, 4 is not supposed to be doing that job. And these horses you'll often see, if you ask them to engage, you'll see they will often um, also flex their hocks and stifles if you ask them enough. Well, that's because it's the biceps femoris doing it, not the gluteals. And the biceps femoris goes all the way down to the hocks and stifles. So if they're contracting that biceps femoris in order to lift the back, you'll also get them to essentially flex their hocks and stifles. So these horses are really going more like a squat instead of an engagement from their butt. They're not butt tucking their butt, but squatting is what they're doing. And so then you get that overdevelopment of the L2, L3, 4, that area is doing a job it's not supposed to do. So it'll be sore in that area because they're overusing it. 
Well, and it's almost like, I mean, I think about some of these um, cervical or other hind end weak horses. We see this weak hind end, we see that roachiness, and it's almost like they're using that L2, 3, and 4 as a fulcrum to cart their caboose around. So they're pivoting off, you know what I mean? And that's why they're squatting because they, they don't have the strength to really engage those lower lumbars and, and croup area. So there's a, there's a colloquial term for uh, uh, butt crunches. You know what that is. Is that something that you recommend to owners or trainers and so forth to do that regularly, daily, to try and get that dorsal flexion in the back? Only if they're doing it properly at L5, L6, S1. So for me, basically, and you can see it really cool in babies, if you just take kind of a little pointy object and you put it what we know as bladder 35, they will dorsiflex the whole spine. So if you're scritching on the top of the tail head, basically, that's what you're telling your, your owners. Yep. On the, on either side of the top of the tail head. Yep. Yeah. I want to make sure they're actually able to open up and flex at L5, L6, S1. Because if not, they're just going to use their L2, L3, L4 again, like they've been using. So I'll often show the clients before we treat them, look, this is how they're doing it now. Okay. Now we've treated them. We've adjusted. We've done whatever. And look, now they can lift, now they can tuck their butt, their glutes are contracting, and now do it. But I don't want them to do it, like I said, if, if it's not moving correctly, if we haven't gotten that, if we haven't gotten a true engagement from the lumbosacral area. Because they'll just, yeah, they'll just continue to use the wrong areas. And yes, getting back to you, you know, everything in, everything's connected and absolutely the lower neck is going to have a lot to do with what the back's doing. And then also, you know, you mentioned the dura. So you have the dura at the pole and then you have the dura, you know, at, back at the sacral area and there's nothing in between. So yes, you can have stuff all the way up at your pole that's affecting the butt because that's the only two attachments of the dura. I, I, I love when I'm adjusting a horse and I just can't quite get my SIs, like I've got it 70%, but it just isn't moving quite as well as I'd like. You know, you, you move forward on the horse, you do the pole and you go back and it's gone. <laughs> it's just really fun how, how connected everything is, you know. <laughs> it's all connected, yeah. So just one more thing. In your practice, do you use the, the Magna Wave and do you recommend that? And if so, has it been effective for you? I do have one. Again, I love all the tools. I love all the toys. Um, yeah, and I've, I've actually had two because the first one broke. You know, there's so many practitioners out now that have it and we're just so busy. So we actually usually don't use it a whole lot ourselves anymore. Um, but I do recommend it more as a support for what we've already treated to keep things relaxed. Um, you know, not usually as a primary treatment, but yes, as a follow-up. Yeah. I have found, I have found that to be really helpful for a lot of things too. So on one more TCVM note, moxibustion is an ancient uh, form of uh, taking an herbal and the herbs is uh Artemis vulgaris, and it's done in into uh, dried and, and shaped into little sticks. They look like cigars. And what they do is you light it, and it puts a very strong heat energy into an area where we're trying to focus that. And so um, I do use it in my practice. Again, in Florida, it's a little bit warm for it many times. But if the horse is neutral or the horse is certainly cool or cold, it's a beautiful therapy. And you can I can give them to my clients, show them how to use it properly and safely. And um, it's a great, uh, you know, helpful therapy. Do you do much moxibustion for back problems? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I kind of go back to the, we live in Florida, everything's hot. I treat so many non-sweaters. So I'm more, yeah, I'm more of a electro. I love my electro. Um, yeah. And I'll put those needles in front and I'll often put it in, you know, they're so painful, put the needles in front of the stagnated area and behind the stagnated, stagnated area and run the electricity through or again, cross the spine with them. Uh, but yeah, I like, I really prefer my electro for, for back pain. 
So I would love, um, I would love your take on, you know, I, I, I believe as you said initially that most back pain is secondary. And I, um, I would love to hear kind of your take on, is there a certain, like, is a great percentage of back pain stomach ulcers or is a great percentage of back pain saddle fit or, you know, do you see anything in particular? Like, I don't know, rank your possibilities. Somebody shows you back pain, you know, my horse is painful. And let's say it's right under the saddle area, that whole, uh, um, t- uh, like, let's say T9 through 12 um, area that you were talking about, which is kind of where the crotch of the rider would sit for the people at home. Um, you know, what would be your top five, uh, I would say, that, that you find in back pain that isn't back pain, that is sec- the back pain is secondary? Uh, yeah, I'd probably have to rank. Battle up there. Um, I think it's, I think it's, le- and maybe my clientele is more professional now, but I think it's le- through the years. So I don't know if that's my clientele or we've really, the whole system's got better with saddle and saddle fit, but I see less saddle fit problems, but it's still probably number one up there. Um, the other thing I see is dental issues. Um, you know, we need the entire dental arcade to be congruent with the TMJ because when we ask these horses to flex and I see it more in horses, you know, in your Western horses where they're riding loose on a rain, you know, a fairly loose rein, they can get away with less dental balance perfection than can these horses that we ask for contact and flexion. Because when we ask the horse to flex, that bottom jaw needs to actually slide forward if not or slide downward when we go into flexor it's forward and downward and if you have a dental imbalance issue teeth that are catching or just an incongruency to the tmj you're not going to get that slide you're not going to get that free movement of the jaw and how we were just talking about that's going to affect the pole and it's not they're not going to you know the spine is connected all the way through so if you're not getting proper flexion at your pole, you're not going to get a proper back lift either. I mean, they'll be able to fake it to some degree. Um, but yes, dental issues. When they have dental issues, they often, because they're not chewing well, they often in congruence have ulcers. Because if the tea, if the, if the, you know, food does not get processed in the, in the mouth enough and you don't get the saliva production that buffers the pH in the stomach with the food, then you're more prone to ulcers. So when I see TMJ things and dental things, and I kind of, that goes along with ulcers. Um, so yes, I'd say, I'd say saddle. I would say teeth probably is up there with it also. Um, and then any kind of, you know, foot pain where they're going to go with their head and neck elevated. And I'd say I see less of that, but again, I think, you know, maybe my, my clientele and the whole industry has gotten a lot better at detecting that type of things. And we're treating that foot pain earlier on. So I don't see as much of that. I should say foot pain, but any kind of forelimb, any kind of forelimb pain. So by the time they get to, usually that kind of stuff has been treated as far as the, the leg and the foot. Um, but teeth and saddle, we still have a long way to go. And do you see some secondary to like, if they have some, some hawk or stifle discomfort that the back is going to be there as a second? Yes. I find that more as like lumbar pain. So a different area. Mm -hmm. And it traditionally is just more muscular. You know, they're overusing those back muscles instead of articulating their hawks and stifles and, and coming forward that way. They're more swinging using their back muscles. And so they'll get muscle sore from that area. So it's, it's you know different area and, and more muscle as opposed to spine. So so what you what you probably find if you're going ahead and doing your palpation and you recognize an area and then you say okay well let's treat the pain. So you do your electroacupuncture and you come back and you're ninety percent improved. You're more likely to say okay secondary to or maybe maybe a true back pain which there is such a thing um that you're going to say oh well, we're going to be fine i don't really care if there's kissing spines or facet damage if we clear that out of there um mm-hmm. then that is more muscular pain and we've we've helped the horse yeah yeah i mean like i said people just want to they want their horse to be comfortable and they want to be able to ride so you know as far right you know, it's more, yes, it's always nice to have a diagnostics, you know, the more diagnostic, but those that adds to the cost. 
And you know, if yeah. we can get the horses comfortable, sometimes people just, they don't, they just want to ride. They don't mm-hmm. care what the problem is if we fix it. And to circle back on the whole, you know, kissing spine diagnosis, and it's a radiographic diagnosis, I had um, a wonderful continuing education um, in 2019, and I took it because I don't have all the toys like you do, but it was on back, sacroiliac, and pelvis. And the fabulous speaker, who was the sports medicine chair at UPenn at the time, she said that she, you know, we grade these radiographic diagnoses on a grade one, two, three, or four, typically. And she she said she almost never sees problems with ones and twos. And if she sees problems with threes and fours, she blocks the back and, and tries to demonstrate. And she, it sounds like she's doing a carbocane block like everything else, um, tries to demonstrate, you know, that that's a primary problem or whatever. But she quoted studies, which I have actually had reason to look up just for other lecture purposes. And basically, between the studies, 86 to 92 percent of horses on the necropsy floor have evidence of kissing spines. So, you know, are we radiographing these, these and going, yep, there it is. And really, you know, it's a not the primary cause and be manageable, you know, no matter what we see on radiograph, I, I just support not having all the toys like you do. My clinical findings are the same as yours is that I, I'm less convinced of the diagnosis of kissing spine period. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. you the great ones and twos where you just have it touching and sclerosis are not, you know, we, those are much easier to get back as opposed to when you get to the lytic lesions, which are the, where you've actually demineralized the bone. Those are, that's kind of worse. It's been going on longer to see that demineralization. And I've actually followed some of these. I've got one in, um, it moved out of state, but until it did, we were actually able to follow with radiographs and we saw the horses um, remineralize the lytic lesions to the point where, yeah, like we followed the original diagnosis, which was this horse needs to have surgery or give up on it. And they never had surgery. The horse is back. And we actually, like I said, watch those, watch those lytic lesions remineralize over a couple of years. Well, I think, I think that's really super to say only because, you know, like I say, the stigma way back, if you've got kissing spines, you're done. And now you've done a great share to say that, listen, we don't even need to consider surgery. Let's try to do the things that are required to help the back pain and help the, the resolve the spine issue. And um, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. They help the horse use itself properly. You know, once you have the cut the pain cycle and then hopefully you can have some suspension and power through the back and proper core strength. It's awesome. All right. Well, Dr. Mailer, this has been a fabulous episode that we've had. I'm so glad you were um, willing to willing and able to come talk with us today and give your perspective because, you know, as all of us are um aged in our profession, I wouldn't say age, but you know, we've got lots of experience between the three of us. You just realize that, you know, your experiences are so much um, of what practice is all about and the clinical picture and looking at the animal um, rather than looking at the technology sometimes that, you know, gosh, they heal despite what we see on radiograph or ultrasound or whatever. So you've, you've had a a great um, share, like John said today, Marilyn, thank you so much. You're very welcome. My pleasure. So that was a spectacular interview with Dr. Mailer. Don't you agree, my friend? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I think, you know, she's a seasoned uh, veterinarian and has gone through, you know, this is her focus. And it's wonderful to hear an expert in, in this uh, discipline to, you know, to help helps me, helps you and helps the owners and trainers and so forth to know that, you know, Wow, we have so many options now, and I, I think the idea. It was interesting to say because uh, I remember asking her. So, if you've got a horse with a complaint of back pain, what do you do? Well, it's interesting. She goes right to the back to try and find it, and you know, I think maybe you'll agree, but for me, I don't go there. I go to the front of the horse, and you know, greet the horse, and then I start in a rhythm through the horse, and. Um, you know, I remember my Twaina teacher way back, he would say, you know, if the horse has got a soreness, don't go there, go elsewhere first. And so that's kind of my take. But it's interesting what we found is her ability to isolate with her fingers 
where the pain might be, whether it may be a spinous process or where maybe it might be a restriction or maybe it could be in the, art, the, uh, the joint space, the facets. So that's lovely. And I, I, I value the idea that we can use our hands. You know, it's kind of a lost art in Western medicine to actually put your hands on the patient and, and work them and feel them to try and find um, what the source of pain is. And then I, I think her comments after that is, well, let's go ahead and get rid of the pain. Well, that's why the, the horse is there in the first place. That's what the owners like to see. So the idea that we can now use our techniques of uh, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, which we know is wonderful for pain, and be able to design a plan. She uses electroacupuncture, as I do, um, and it's wonderful. And I think it's both therapeutic and diagnostic at the same time, meaning if we do some electroacupuncture on those sore areas and we come back afterwards and find out that we've improved it significantly, then I'm less inclined to give that client a bad disease. Um, if we don't clear it out very well, then we have to look deeper, and that may require some diagnostics, whether it's ultrasound or radiograph. Uh, sometimes uh, some are sent in for nuclear scintigraphy, which uh, I have some very affluent clients, and they're very happy to have that information. So I'm also happy to get it as well. So, um, and and the idea that we could use or acupuncture. And, you know, I, I know that in my practice, there's three herbal formulas that I really like for treating back pain. And we have our favorite one, which is the number one used herb in TCVM for the Qi University, and that's body sore. So if we have muscle soreness and so forth, that works beautifully. Just saw it on a case this morning. We've just been on a week and the horse is probably 70% improved just with that herbal. And then there's if we have ulcer situations, which are the primary cause of the back pain, we have stomach happy, which is a wonderful herb. And then lastly, if we find that it's in the verte vertebral spine, we have double P2, which is a very powerful herbal formulation for assisting. So the TCVM practitioner works hard to try and establish that right diagnosis to find out where it is, what channels are involved, what pain areas are involved, and then use the appropriate um the appropriate uh, herbal. And one last thing is I, I have done this for many years uh, and I learned this from actually a Japanese uh, gentleman who taught um, uh, macrobiotic therapy and he would use ginger compresses. So I'll show my clients how to do this and just taking fresh ginger, cut it up, put it in, uh, steep it in some water and make hot towels over the back. It does beautiful. I've done it for myself, my wife. So that's just another little tool using an herb. Ginger, very warming, very uh, uh, anti-inflammatory and moves the chi in the blood. For sure. Oh, and it's just like, it's just fun to, I think sometimes, um, in, in our Western culture, it isn't even in Western medicine, our human approach to life is to, to dumb it down to one thing. And, and all these cases, this is what you do. And all these cases, this is what you do. And I think that back pain, all of this medicine is just so diverse. And I love having all the options because the nuances of all these different cases are going to be different. So it's really cool. I found it. I, I, I was smiling when you said you start at the front of the horse because I might say hello, but I start at the back of the horse. Right. See, so we all have our way. Right. Exactly. We have three different people. I like um, doing something called Logan Basic, which releases a lot of the... Um, the sp the tension in the croup and I start from the hind end and work forward and uh, I use my chiropractic exam as my exam so a lot of times I you know if, if a horse is having back pain I'm like you and that I don't jump right for that I kind of I do my entire chiropractic exam and adjustment all together with some myofascial release and that sort of thing and mobilize. And, you know, if does the, does the back pain that I'm palpating while I'm adjusting, you know, does that usually they're not swishing, biting, kicking, but, you know, uncomfortable. They're, they're less reactive than that. So I can get that done. Part of the other, I'm, I feel like I, I just, I'm smitten with neurology and I feel as though the, um, 
if you think about what mobilization does to pain, our pain fibers, our nerves that are that transmit pain through our body are very, very small. And our motor nerves, which involve some of the feedback from muscles, which is called muscle spindle cells, Golgi tendon apparatuses, these are all like like sensors in our in our musculoskeletal system that feedback any of the motor kind of nerves are bigger so by definition you mobilize that spine you mobilize that whole area of muscles and all that kind of thing you allow the horse to be more mobile and the pain will clear and it's almost a TCVM kind of approach you know if you think about it that way but movement supersedes pain movement overcomes the pain fibers the pain fibers are are not loud enough at that point in time to the nervous system which is fascinating to me yeah and this 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 little case that i saw this morning you know this was a, a metal constitution which you and i appreciate you know he was pretty cool do whatever you want to do but i got to see three on the right side and i felt warmth just in my hand. I said, oh, that's interesting. And then the horse's ears went back. So he said, yep, you, you're, you're where the problem is. And it's amazing, the communication. So I look for that everywhere going around the horse for you to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Aren't we blessed to have these patients that if you just watch a horse's body language at any given moment, you can see where they're focused, you can see where they're not focused, and they give you feedback. And I, I love... Yeah, they're, they're telling you where it is. Right. And I, I, I love being a holistic practitioner because I don't have to get in there and elicit huge amounts of pain for my diagnosis. All, all you got to do is pay attention. And, and then when they release and they go, oh, God, thanks, that's so much better. And that's exactly what this horse, the head went down, the eyes softened. And he said, they say thank you, too. And that's that's the best part. But then you get to the next area and they're back holding and tight again. And then you, and, and it's a beautiful, and by the time you're done, they got their head about a foot off the ground and you say, yeah, okay, we're done. Yeah. Most of them. Sometimes there's layers to peel, all kinds of layers. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, what my teacher, Dr. Pasteur, she was uh, very helpful to me because, you know, being the young guy, I'm trying to get everything done as best I can. And she would always say, listen, uh, uh, have we done better? Are we done? Are we improved the horse? Yes. Well, then that's good for today. I get that. I really get that. And and that's kind of the part of we talked about, you know, so many owners just want to get up and ride again. That's what Dr. Mailer was saying. And we do need to kind of peel the layers and, and see our response to treatment. Response to treatment tells you so much, you know, no matter what treatment regime you choose, the response to that is going to give you all kinds of diagnostic information. So that will wrap up our, our uh, December issue of uh, Chi University. If you need to contact Chi University, you can go to chiu.edu, which is C-H-I-U.edu. They are in Reddick, Florida, if you need a contact information there. And you can contact both Dr. Langlois and myself um, through Chi. And uh, my usual quote of the month um, and comes from one of my favorites, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson uh, started the University of Virginia. If, if you've never gone to Monticello, it's really a beautiful historical site. And it shows what a um, crazy genius he was um, in many ways. But here we go. So Thomas Jefferson says, uh, the wise know too well their weakness to assume infallibility. And he who knows most knows best how little he knows. Thank you.